0: Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripods blogs community at Tripods.com. Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that's really Hello. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Saturday, May 24th, 2014. Please join us in the live chat room at tripods.com slash chat, or call 646-716-5450 with your questions for Dr. Cindy Courtney, creator of the popular veterinary blog, VetChangesWorld.com. Dr. Courtney is a vet practicing in the Washington, D.C. area who works every day to make a difference in the lives of pets and the people who love them. She's going to help us learn how to work together with our vets to make the best treatment decisions for our pets. Dr. Courtney, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show.
1: I'm so glad to be here.
2: Hey, Dr. Courtney, this is Renee. Thanks so much. We uh, we can't wait to talk to you about
1: your work. I'm excited to answer some questions and help pet owners out. You know, some of the decisions we have to make for our pets are really challenging.
2: They are. They are. And I encourage everybody to, if you haven't already, please check out the um, Tripods news blog post for May 21st uh, in which Dr. Courtney uh, wrote for us. It's uh, how to make good medical decisions for your pets. And the blog post she wrote is awesome. It's about her own experience making decisions for her dog. So um, check it out. It's the May 21st news blog post. Anyhow, um, Dr. Courtney, tell us about your work. Um, tell us who are your patients and, and where do you practice and, and how on earth do you find the time to blog? I am so impressed. Well, I'm
1: glad. I work in the Washington, D.C. area, as Jen said, at Animal Medical Centers of Loudoun. They work exclusively with cats and dogs, and I love my work. Every day I get to help people understand their best friends better, help them stay healthy, help them stay happy for as long as we can. And I I love it. So we as best tend to be workaholics, and I'm no exception. Uh, It's hard to find the time to blog, honestly. And A lot of times I'm blogging when I can't not. Uh, There's just something I need to get out there into the world and let people know about. So I carve time away from my days off. My husband's very patient about letting me take some of our vacation time to sit down and put together a post. Well, we we really appreciate it, and and
2: um, you know, speaking of your blog, you you call it Vet Changes World, so I think it's an awesome name, and I'd love to know what kinds of things do you want to change, and
1: and for whom? Honestly, when I picked the name, I did not have any particular kind of change in mind.
2: I really? picked it
1: as a double dog dare to myself, because, <laughs> and I almost didn't pick that name about 20 times, they went back and forth and back and forth and finally clicked the okay button because I knew if I picked that name, I would make myself live up to it. And I think <laughs> we can't change the world unless we believe that we can. And it's worked amazingly well because I've started on all these projects trying to change the world and they've led me to further projects. The general thrust has become helping other pet professionals connect with veterinarians so we can spread the word that health owners end up hearing a lot more about the right things to do for their pets.
2: Well, that is awesome. I mean, I, I just, I think you're changing the world. I mean, you're here, you're sharing information and your knowledge, and, and so we we really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I think you're definitely living up to the name. It, it shows for sure. Um, now, we have connected with you uh, through blog pause um, because your dog, Riley, had been diagnosed with a, a tumor that um, might require amputation of his leg. Um, can you tell us about the
1: diagnosis and, and what your vets recommended? Absolutely. So I remember the exact moment. I diagnosed Riley, and it is a strange thing, diagnosing your own pet with something potentially life-threatening. It's, it's really scary, Absolutely. and there's no filter of another professional between you and that diagnosis. So you look at the slide, and you know exactly what it is, and your heart just plummets. He, we had had him only about two months when I diagnosed him. He was a chubby guy when we got him, as we helped him lose weight. These lumps just started popping up all over his body, and every single one of them was benign except for one. And, of course, it was the one on his leg where it was really hard for us to remove it. And I remember looking at the microscope and thinking, really, really, you had to have Aww. the mast cell tumor on your elbow. So Aww. I reached out to other professionals because just like every other pet parent, it is really hard to make these decisions. And as a vet, my mind goes immediately to the worst-case scenario. And, you know, I've seen things work out well, but I've also seen the worst-case And Mm -hmm. my heart goes there immediately, like, oh, no, that's going to be my pet. So I work with other professionals. I worked with an oncologist and a board-certified surgeon, and they did exactly what I would do for my patients. They gave me the options one step at a time, gave me the choices one at a time so that it wasn't so overwhelming for me. Massive tumor, Mm -hmm. for those who don't know, is a tumor of allergy cells. Most of the time it responds really well to aggressive surgery, But in rare cases, it can be a very aggressive cancer and a very fast-moving cancer. Riley already had, when we adopted him, spread to the local lymph node. And so we had a hard decision to make whether to attempt a graft where they would basically take some of the skin from his back and cover up the hole they would need to make to remove the tumor or whether to go straight to amputation. And we knew grafting was a risk the graft might not take. You might have to go back to surgery and have the amputation later, anyway. So they were helping me navigate that decision. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that that you had to go through this because,
2: um, I mean, here at Tripods, unfortunately, you know, we get members all the time who whose dogs are, are facing the same situation. Um, in fact, uh, Jim and I and and Wyatt, our our Tripods spokes dog, um, we were scared recently with a potential mast cell diagnosis. Um just this week we found out that a lump that Wyatt had that appeared from out of nowhere, um, turned out to be an impacted hair follicle. <laughs> so we were pretty pretty lucky. I know. We, we were calling it the five hundred dollar follicle. Um mm-hmm. but um but we were faced with that the, the mast cell um potential and, and it's it's a really interesting one. It's not as as cut and dry so to speak as something like osteosarcoma. Um so there's some, some tough choices there for sure. But it's it's just so interesting to to hear about a vet going through it. Um we have a, a member who went through osteosarcoma with her dog and she's a, a, a board certified um surgeon and it was real interesting to, to hear about how, how she saw it um the whole process. Um, so you know, so you're going through this this experience with your dog, and he was I take it he was an adult when you got him. He was older. Yeah,
1: he was ten years old when we got him.
2: Oh, that's so sweet that you adopted an older dog. I just thank you for yeah. that. I love I love hearing that. Um, and and so this whole thing, you know, it could have been it could have been just a really awful thing that just kind of paralyzed you, but it, but it really led you to this mission to help pet parents make the best decisions for their animals. Um, so, you know, you turn something that could be so terrible. And, it's, and as you know, it's it's really easy to let our own ideas and our own experiences with our own health histories or other people's um, pet cancer scares uh, cloud our judgment when it comes to deciding what kind of care we may pursue, whether it's amputation or palliative care or, or Um And I'm just wondering, um, you know, how do we step away from our experiences to see the situation for what it is um, through their eyes. I mean, your vets are giving you your, your choices. You can do this, this, or this. But how do you, how do you just kind of step away and, and find some inner peace somewhere so that you can make the, the best decision?
1: How did you do that? So a couple things for me. One, when we approach these kinds of situations, it is easy to think about, well, what it would be like for me to have an amputation or to lose a limb. And there are some cases where it's good for us to put ourselves in our pet's shoes and some situations where it's not so good. For instance, mm-hmm. there are definitely ways that our pets are really different from us. So when it comes to amputations, especially, I love the title of the, the Tripod's book, Three Legs in a Stair. We have two legs. so an amputation <laughs> means something really different for us than for an animal that has more legs to get around on? They do much better. Or like with chemotherapy, we do chemotherapy very differently from dogs than we do for people, and people, they try and give you pretty much as much chemo as they can without killing you to try and kill the tumor. Whereas with pets, we're much more focused on quality of life. Riley ended mm-hmm. up going through chemotherapy after his surgery, and he had no uh-huh. effect whatsoever. So it is important wow. to talk with a veterinarian and get some ideas, okay, is this a situation where my instincts match or a situation where they don't? Because there are cases where it's good for us to put ourselves in their shoes. For instance, you know, if we're making quality of life decisions and we know that, like, I deal with cats who have kidney disease and get really dehydrated. I can use the example of hangovers. When we have a hangover, it's because we're (laughs) dehydrated. And so I can put people in their pet's shoes to understand why it's so important for them to give their pet fluids or to use a canned diet to help them stay really well hydrated. Or to make end-of-life decisions when a pet's painful, sometimes that can help. Uh, One thing I find people do is they'll empathize with part of the situation but not the whole. They'll say, I've been through surgery, I know the pain of surgery, I don't want my pet to go through that. But they don't step back and think, well, after surgery was done, I went on to live a nice, happy, normal life. And my pet has that possibility as well. So you have to make sure not to get tunnel vision when it comes to your own experiences. To realize, okay, then I was able to move on, and then I was able to have good things in my life, and that was just a temporary blip, a temporary difficulty, for me and Riley, and and that getting away from that sinking feeling in my heart of thinking, gosh, how can I take, even consider taking the leg for you know this dog who I love and has some arthritis and might have trouble getting around. I really talked to a lot of people. Talked with my friends and family, and they helped give me some insight. Uh, just, just curious.
2: When when you mentioned the possibility of amputation to friends and family, how did they react?
1: A couple folks who actually were involved in helping me adopt Riley immediately uh, cringed. They, mm-hmm. as soon as I mentioned it, they said, "Absolutely not. There's no possible way you could do that ever." And that made it hard on me, and I'm sure it makes it hard on other pet owners when people react with that visceral, "Gosh, no, you can't do that," um, and and it makes it even more important to gather information, talk with professionals, talk with people who've been through the whole thing to give yourself a little more perspective. Yeah, you know that that's really the main reason
2: why we started Tripods was um, we we're just two people in one story with with one dog who who went through it and and. When people started asking us questions, we said we don't have all the answers. We we have hardly any answers, really. So we put our discussion forums up so that people could talk to each other and share their multitude of experiences. And it's been um, it's been really helpful. And especially when it comes to mast cell cancer, because um, as you know, it just takes so many different forms, and and there's so many ways that that diagnosis can go. It's just so uh, I mean it's unpredictable.
1: Is that a good word to use for it? yeah I think what's hard is you're spinning the roulette wheel, I think with mast cell tumor. you never know before you actually biopsy the darn thing what the heck it is and how aggressive it's gonna be, so it does make it hard on us when we're trying to use the probabilities to to take our best guess that's the best thing to do so yeah, you don't know where the roulette wheel's gonna land.
2: what was the I'm just curious what was the grade and the the final um conclusion of the biopsy for Riley?
1: So Riley ended up having a grade two mast cell tumor and he did appear to have infiltration into his lymph node. He, We did staging for him. So we did x-rays of his chest and an ultrasound and he did not have spread anywhere else in his body, just uh, mm-hmm. those two areas. Oh, that's,
2: wow. <laughs> wow. Was it was it a large, a, a very large tumor? I mean,
1: like, you know, in relation yeah, to a
2: golf ball or about, something?
1: It, it took up his whole elbow. It was about, Two and a half inches in diameter. It was kind of circular, and then about an inch thick. So it was a pretty big mast cell tumor. It was got that big because the person who had him beforehand wasn't really taking great care of him. Oh
2: wow! Oh my gosh! Well,
1: that's why we we uh, we got Wyatt's little hair
2: follicle biopsy because it was really about the size of a pencil eraser, and and we thought. Okay, let, let's get it done. We don't, we don't want to be that person that lets their tumor get so big that, you know, yeah. oh, it just gets in the way. So we're glad we, we got that done, definitely. Um, but you were you were talking about, you know, stepping back and, and getting answers and, and doing research and things. Um, in the the news article that you wrote for us for our blog, uh, you recommend doing our research on, on reputable websites that have good, solid information. Um can
1: you, first of all, can you tell us what websites you, you recommend and why? Absolutely. So the three main ones that I recommend, and I find myself recommending Vet Street more and more. It's written completely by veterinarians who've been screened. It's very connected with some of our veterinary professional journals, so the advice tends to be pretty good. I like them quite a bit. If you haven't checked out Dr. Andy Roark, he's a good friend of mine, and he does amazing educational videos that are hilarious about pets. He goes through that street as well for many of those. Um, I also do, like, WebMD has a veterinary section. Now, it's really easy. A lot of my clients get confused. They use PetMD. I know it's Mm -hmm. easy to get those confused, but go to WebMD first, and you can find their veterinary section. They have reliable stuff as well. And then there's one put together by our veterinary. There's an online network of veterinarians called VIN, and they have a partner website called Vet Partner that has a lot of great information, and I've got good feedback from clients from all all of those.
2: Oh, interesting. So VIN, um, that's...
1: um,
2: I thought you you had to have a subscription to that, but you're saying um, that they have a, a version for the public that you can access?
1: So it's all client information. So VIN itself is... An interactive network between veterinarians. The veterinary partner uh-huh. isn't interactive, but it has a lot of handouts and kind of static information for people.
2: Oh, cool. Okay, we'll we'll be sure to put those links uh, in our uh, discussion forums where we announce this show. Um, and we we like Best Street because I, I believe that's where um, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus writes. Correct, um, the oncologist. Have you seen her column?
1: Goodness, I. Get all my blogs on Cheezle through my RSS now, and I'll <laughs> admit I'm not as close about recognizing which website it's coming from.
2: <laughs> That's okay. I I believe Helen uh, House is, is on that street, and she's an awesome oncologist. We've actually had her on on Tripod Talk Radio before. Um, but uh, so let's you know, let's say someone goes to these these three websites, and and of course Tripods, shameless plug there. Um, but let's say um, you know you're going there, you're doing your research. How do we draw the line between doing our research and our homework and information overload where we're just bombarding ourselves with, you know, the worst-case scenario? I mean, like you, like you said, even you went to the worst-case scenario when when the idea of Riley's diagnosis first came to you. Um, you know, I see so many people getting even more stressed out after Dr. Google says, oh, my God, this is, like, awful, this is what's going to happen,
1: Um how do how do we avoid just feeling paralyzed by all of this? So I definitely have some clients who know themselves well enough that they know they can't go to Dr. Google and they'll tell me <laughs> I'm not going to use those websites because it's just too scary for me. So part of it is knowing yourself and knowing whether that's something you have a tendency to do. Mm-hmm. Second thing is using recommended sites. So I tend to find my clients get more stressed out when they deviate from the sites I recommended because then they start hearing really scary things that are unrealistic. Or they end mm-hmm. up sometimes finding stuff that's overly hopeful, like the magical herbal cure that the website has anecdotes that say it's going to cure their pet's cancer mm-hmm. and there's no evidence behind it. So sticking with the recommended sites helps. And then also using your veterinarian, because what doctors Google can't give you is context. What does this mean for your individual pet, their unique breed, your unique situation, your preferences as a pet owner, your pet's tolerance for pain. So, so gather that information, but then take that information to your veterinarian so they can help put it in context for you. I think that really helps with the panic factor. Do you
2: think most vets are, are willing to um, look at the information we, we present? Um, how, do you, how do you feel vets feel about when, when we
1: bring them a stack of information that we found online, how, how do we feel more and more vets understand that this is a reality and that as soon as the word cancer leaves our mouth, that it is inevitable that people are going to go online and <laughs> vets like me realize that's going to happen and we try and be as understanding as possible. And I preempt my clients by giving them the correct website and showing uh... them that I'm open to them bringing that kind of information to me. And if they're not sure to talk with me about it so that I can sort out the good from the bad. If you have a veterinarian who hasn't specifically told you how to approach them with that, I think the best way is to present it in a curious and questioning way, to say, hey, I found this online. I'm not sure what to think about it. What are your thoughts? Because they tend to find some clients will approach veterinarians and say, well, this website said this, so this must be right. And sometimes mm-hmm. websites don't know what they're talking about. So when clients <laughs> approach a vet, and say this website knows better than you. <laughs> it mm-hmm. can be, it can make the walls come up. I think for a lot of veterinarians. So approaching it in that questioning way and saying, "This is what I saw. What are your thoughts?" I think tends to get the best response from veterinarians like us. That is fabulous
2: advice. I, I love that. Um, and and you know, as far as our, our own community goes, I mean. We're not experts. I'm not an expert. I'm not. I'm not a vet. I'm not anything. I'm just a person. So that's why we have experts like you on the show. <laughs> so and and contributing guest blog posts and things like that, so that that we can get uh, some expert insight, so that it's not all anecdotal on, on tripods. And and we try really hard to make sure that people know that you know all dogs are different and and cats and and that. You know, just because one dog does great on three legs doesn't mean every dog does. Try to make that very clear that most dogs do fine, but there could be some bumps in the road depending on your individual dog. So um, anyhow, um, what's uh, what's another way to, to get more perspectives on the situation? We have, we did our online homework. Um, you know, let's say we're not real comfortable with, with what our main vet is telling us. Um, do we find another vet? Do we... Do we bring more people into the situation? Uh, who's best to bring into it and who's best to leave out when we're facing a major decision like amputation or, or palliative care or, you know,
1: a- anything really like on, on those lines? What do we do then? Absolutely. So if you do not feel comfortable with your vet's recommendation or for whatever reason you don't trust your vet, just know that it is 100% okay to ask for a second opinion Owners can get their full medical records. They can go and see someone else. When owners are making a, magn- a decision of this magnitude, I completely understand when owners want to get someone else's advice on it. I'd never take it personally. Your priority is your pet's care, and you have your right to defend your pet's care, and you shouldn't feel bad or feel like you're going to offend your vet if you want to get a second opinion. I usually recommend folks go to a specialist if they are going to get a second opinion just because they'll get a little bit more information on top of that, a little bit more bang for their buck. You may want to talk mm-hmm. with an oncologist or a surgeon, but you can talk with a, you know, you can get a second opinion from a general practice vet, too. That's okay. Mm-hmm. When it comes to getting advice, who to get advice from and who not to get advice from, I have a couple guidelines. So, one, try and work with people who have a similar set of values and priorities to you, or, and work with people who know you really well because Mm -hmm. if somebody has a different set of priorities like they say a dog is just a dog you can get a new one and you're in this is your baby you're not really (laughs) going to get valuable advice from that person and believe it or not there are some vets who are old school who may still be on that spectrum that they say well this is just a farm dog this isn't worth doing surgery oh oh, that's (laughs) like me it's true though and there are some vets like me who my dog is my baby, so I'm going to have my first recommendation be, hey, let's, this is the best care that we can offer. Is that something that you're interested in? But if you're an owner who doesn't want to spend more than $500 ever on your dog's care and you come to a vet like me, you're not going to be very happy working with me. <laughs> I'm a veterinarian <laughs> who matches your style so that your priorities are in the same place. Um, and then it's nice so when sense. I know my clients so I kind of know where their priorities sit, and I can help guide them a little bit more. I had a client just this week who took a previous vet took a mask off, and it was nothing, and he was really, really upset about the $3,000 bill, and his risk profile sits a little bit differently. You know, he wants to Mm -hmm. make sure that it has a lot of red flags before he takes that leap again, so I can help him and meet his needs. When you're asking advice from other people you know, How's your family. Are they surprised with the decision you're making, or does it kind of that's kind of the decision they expected you to make? And Maybe don't listen to the guy at the pet store who says, "No, try this herbal supplement." Um, and mm-hmm. I don't mean to bash on herbs. I have a holistic doctor in our practice, and she does some amazing things with herbs. But when people who don't know what they're talking about use them, some weird things happen.
2: So yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, and if you just have an acquaintance who says oh, my gosh, I can't believe you would ever put a dog through an amputation. They don't know you. They don't know your pet. They don't know your priorities. It's okay to let that roll off your back. uh, One of the things we're always uh, hearing in
2: the community is people really tend to find out what their friends' and family's values are. Sometimes they're, uh, you know, you might think you're surrounded by dog lovers, but when you're faced with a decision like this, then you really find out, how they think, (laughs) and you find out who's more uh, in your camp than than who's not. Um, But I want to encourage anybody who's listening right now to feel free to call in if you have any questions. Uh, The number is 646-716-5450. You can also go to the Tripods chat room. We just have a few minutes left. And um, let's see. You know what? I I had a few more questions, but really what I want to know is, How did you decide what to do about Riley's leg? Um, I hate to drag this out, so tell us what what happened in the end and and how did he do?
1: Yeah. So I ended up talking with his oncologist and with his surgeon as well as a couple of people who had done the graft procedure. They would seen a lot of tripods and they had done really well, but I wanted to know how likely is this graft to fail? Is this worth it? It was more expensive. So was it going to be worth the money and the risk that we might have to go back and take the leg anyway? And everything I heard from the people I talked to with and the surgeon was that there was a very high chance of the graft being successful and the tumor never coming back. And so we went with the graft, and it was hilarious because he was this 50 dog, and he had lots of really long hair on his back, and his legs had really short hair. And so when he had his graft, <laughs> and it grew back in, he ended up with one leg with really long, fluffy hair on it, and the other leg had his normal short hair. And we did (laughs) do chemo for a couple months. Um, He had absolutely no reaction to the chemo whatsoever. And his cancer never returned. Um, His lymph node did have some signs of the cancer, but it never spread, and it never came back. And he did great and went on to run around to have a happy life. And and it wouldn't have been the wrong decision if we had looked at everything and and decided amputation was the way to go. It just Mm -hmm. would have been the wrong decision to avoid it. Just because I was scared. Right.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. If I were to hear that, you know, the the surgery had a high success rate, I would I would make the same decision for sure. Um amputation is not right for every dog, definitely. Um I'm I'm so happy it worked out and, and I read your, your post about saying goodbye to Riley and I just bawled
1: at yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Completely we had a unrelated great humor. Completely unrelated tumor. Really? Absolutely. It was a, a hepatocellular carcinoma, which his mix of breeds is prone to. I've had a couple clients who have similar types of dogs that have gotten those later in life as well. Uh-huh. Not not fun. Actually normally in some have it's a tumor that if you if you catch it early enough you can remove it, but it it is a much it's a very rough surgery for them to go through. So um oh. his stroke kind of made the decision for us when he had a stroke from a completely unrelated tumor.
2: Wow! Wow! Well, you guys were so good to him. He was so lucky to finally, finally find the the right home that he deserves. That's so cool. Um, you know, I I just uh, you know I want to really thank you for for doing the show with us because you know making these kinds of decisions is just terrifying, and and whether you're you're making the decision to amputate or you're deciding whether or not to do chemo. It's really scary, and and especially end-of-life decisions, which our community is all too familiar with, unfortunately. Um, You know, when it it comes down to it, how how can we be sure that the path we took was the right one?
1: How do we know? It's a really existential question. (laughs) How do we know in anything we've made the right decision? And when you come down to it, the answer is that we don't. And I think science answers that question best for us. If you take people who have a tumor or stroke or a brain injury in the area that controls emotion and they lose their ability to really feel emotion strongly, they stop being able to make decisions. They can process the information all the livelong day. They never decide. If you give them a decision as simple as when do you want your follow-up appointment, they cannot make a decision. That's because they don't have that emotional feeling at the end of the day telling them, yes, this feels right. So, you want to process that data. You want to think about those things. You want to get the other perspective. But at the end of the day, you're going to feel that you made the right decision or not. And sometimes it comes down to that emotion in that moment. This one feels right.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is really, really wise. Dr. Courtney, we really appreciate you being here. And um, thanks so much. You, you've helped a lot of people.
0: Really glad to help. So. Thank you once again for your time, Dr. Courtney. Listeners can learn more about your work at BetChangesWorld.com. Until next time, find all Tripod Talk Radio podcasts and many more helpful resources at Downloads.Tripods.com. For helpful gear, nutrition tips, and support from members, please visit Tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at (laughs) tripods.com.